leadership, you know, connotates um, bossing. But, you, Michael, you know that that, no, uh-uh. If leadership is providing the environment for others to do the work that validates them, makes them see their value, therefore increasing the agency that they want to go out and tackle any issue. You're listening to Paulette Fair, co-founder of the Kepra Institute in Indianapolis, talking lessons in life and leadership. Paulette is my guest on this episode of Michael Loves Indie. Friends, welcome back to Michael Loves Indie. I'm excited to share this recent conversation with Paulette Fair, co-founder of the Kepra Institute, an organization that serves to empower youth and build community wealth in Indianapolis. This conversation, you could think of it kind of as a companion conversation to episode 12 with Imhotep Adisa, another co-founder of the Kepra Institute. Again, Kepra has got an increasing visibility and influence here in Indianapolis. They certainly have uh, influenced the work of my employer, the Indy Chamber. And I just wanted to take some time with Paulette to go back into her life story because she is someone, again, similar to Imhotep Adisa, who in a relatively short amount of time has really influenced my evolving way that I view the world. And, and, um, you know, she's somebody who has lived a really interesting life. She grew up in the 1940s and 1950s in a much more segregated America. She lived in Detroit and then moved to Indianapolis, and she covers that in this conversation. But what's fascinating to me, among many things, about her life is she's someone that in this chapter in her life, she could easily be retired on a Florida beach or something like that, but she has chosen to spend her time and her life uh, mentoring young leaders and organizing the community to tack on ta- to tackle some of our toughest challenges in Indianapolis, and she's also someone who's helped me really broaden my perspective on racial divisions in America, and and in our in our own Indianapolis community. And she also, and you kind of hear it in the conversation, she does not hold back her views on the problems with our political structure and our economic systems. But I, I wanted to get really into Paulette's life story because it is really fascinating and it does kind of fill in the gaps for me and helps me understand why she's so committed at this point in her life to um, empowering young leaders. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Paulette Fair. raised in uh, San Antonio, Texas, and that was uh, 1943. I, I left at about 21 years to come, 21 years old to come north to go to Wayne State University in Detroit. They had a, a I wanted to get a degree in a specialty program, and uh, they had that program. It was only a few universities in the United States, and Wayne State was one of them. So from uh, being born in 43 to 
21 years old. Uh, I, I call that being raised in one place. And uh, during that time, uh, I had a, you know, we, we talk about now. It, it wasn't said then. But we, we look back now and we say uh, community. We say village. And then we say it takes a village to raise a child. And um, this many years later, it, it really is true. So when you say, what were your early life experiences that you can now look back on and say, wow, this was important to me getting to where I am today in 2021 at 77, a person of agency and leadership. Absolutely. And leadership, you know, connotates um, bossing. But, you, Michael, you know that that, no, uh-uh. If leadership is providing the environment for others to do the work that validates them, makes them see their value, therefore increasing the agency that they want to go out and tackle any issue. I didn't necessarily say problem or challenge, just any issue that someone sees. And, you know, rather than stand around with a Pollyanna attitude of I can do this and all things, and but the, the leadership part, of, of where you get to, how you develop that in yourself, it, it's got to come to how well you can provide the environment. Physical, yeah, but you don't have as much control over the physical environment as you do over the emotional environment. Yeah, And we each own our own emotional spaces that Sometimes people don't realize they do. Of all the things that you own, it's only inside of your head, between your ears, that you come into the world with and you take all the way. You you can't take nothing else with you. Not all the money, not all the accolades, all you've built, only... Just, yeah. Excuse me, my alarm is going to tell me, be prepared for your call. No problem. So, <laughs> so, that, uh, so what I was going to yeah, say go is, yeah, com- coming up, um, I was born into um, a segregated, a closed community. And where I come from in the South, in San Antonio, was um, all the mayors, all the political people were were white men, no no women, and in, in while the city was ninety percent Mexican or, or Latina X, there were um, there no and of course no black people. So in in that community, um, there was there was very little space in the whole community for black people. It was just, there was just 
you no know, no jobs unless they were jobs of cleaning up people's houses or um, cleaning up something or other. And so it it forced the the well-being of the children for the well-being of the children that you had to make a space for them to grow up and be whole, have their own humanity, be the leaders in the community that will perpetuate the community. So that was always part of all the things that were done. And so here we are closed. We need a pharmacy. You can't go downtown to that pharmacy. So a young man went off to pharmacy school somewhere, came back, and it was uh, McCarthy's, I think it was, pharmacy. We, we, we had a black pharmacist who opened up a pharmacy. And you couldn't go to the movies unless you went up the alley and uh, through the back door and go up the steps, which is the most fun place to be anyway, up in the balcony. But you, you couldn't go through the front door. So we had a small movie house in our community. So when you say, what are some of the experiences that have led you here? It was not the fact that it was forced, but it was the fact that it was a community of people who gathered around to provide all that they they couldn't have from the general community, they provided for themselves. Now, you know, people say, well, gee, then segregation was good. And I say, it wasn't that segregation was good. It's just that now people have to decide to come together. Yeah. Not because it's mandatory and they can't go anyplace else. They need to do it for the sake of the other people who live in the community. And so I had a very strong sense of community when I was growing up, not the larger community, but the community around me. And because the community around me was um, was um, had the agency to provide what we needed, then we were in the larger community as people who provided for ourselves. Therefore, there was this pride in community. There was this, we can do this. This is what we need. Well, it doesn't make any sense. How are we going to get this done? Well, we're going to do, we don't have to do a big thing. We don't have to have a two-story movie house. We'll have a one-story movie house. Yeah. We don't have to have a pharmacy with five pharmacy let's have one with one and if we can get to five great but let's put our resources together to make this one and you know probably the man got a bank loan probably it was some kind you know but the fact that children grow up seeing the agency in this is what our community needs and they know that through the the ways of communications, uh, the institutions, of course, the black church was one that uh, generally survived um, being looked upon by uh, some people in our community, white people especially, who felt real threatened if black people ever did anything that made them look like they were getting ahead. Um, churches usually didn't get damaged and so our church institutions were the places that we could go and feel safe and build them big. And, and the institutions were then moneyed and resourced enough to help the other people who, who fell upon hard times, as people can do. 
And is that a, a few minutes ago when you were talking about your your view of leadership, which which has impacted a lot of people, myself included, and this view of leadership as creating a space, creating an emotional, sometimes spiritual space for, for people. And, and that's, that's, that's a view that I consider very, might say progressive or very, you know, 2021. And is, is that, is that something, uh, is that an awareness that came to you when you were younger growing up in this environment or is that, and, and was modeled by people in your life or is that an awareness that came to you at a later point? Well, I think that it's like a a consciousness that one has, it was developed from a seed. It was a seed that was, it, it was a seed that was planted by my environment. And as I got to be older, it, it started to flower and grow because I was in places where it didn't happen. And I'm saying, gosh, what's not going on here that could happen? Something's just not okay here. And then you start to realize it with any consciousness you have. And so communications with others is so important. Because when you go places and people don't have that consciousness, where are they going to get it without this seed that's going to be, that can come to them? You know, in... um, we, we we talk now about uh, the polarization of our um, society here in the United States, especially It's what I'm talking about, focusing yep. here. Um, when you can't talk to people who feel like, um, let's say the vaccine, I'm not talking about race. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about hierarchy. I'm talking about, let's, let's focus on the vaccine. People are, adamant about not taking that vaccine i mean they are just adamant it's issues of trust of course from things that they've heard i heard that i think it's like 47 percent of republicans say they are not going to take the vaccine so it was their perception and so unless they are talking to someone who says i had it uh, I, i feel safer now um, what could happen if you don't take it is worse than anything that you've ever heard of anybody having that does take it. You know, just having those kinds of conversations. And the big one to talk about, you're talking about leadership. How about wearing a mask? How about wearing a mask? Right. And the reason that ties together, it's about communications in your environment. And we can all look back and see that it didn't have to go that way, that people are saying that it, this is not about protecting other people. I feel safe, so we all, I'm good. So whether y'all are good or not, I'm good. And so back to leadership, and you say, uh, where did you, where did you start to institute those thoughts and ideas as you were going through the world? Yes. Um, my husband and I um, gave uh, birth to two children, and wouldn't you know, um, right as we had the baby, uh, my husband's uncle and I died, and we inherited two children. Uh, he was their godfather, and so they were 10 and 11. And then my sister brought her uh, six-year-old 
to my mom's there in San Antonio and says, Mom, you were right. Everybody's graduated from college. She was about 30. Everybody's graduated from college but me. Here's Kenneth, my six-year-old. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go and live on campus so I won't be distracted and I'll finish. And so my mother said, send him to Paulette. She already has four. She won't even notice. And so, of course, my husband says, well, sure. He was the same age as my little girl at the time. And so raising five kids, having been raised in a community, a, a, a closed community, a community of, of people. So I had a lot of people around me. I could, I could see that community was so important. You know, we could not have survived as black people in San Antonio. Everybody talking about, I'm going to get mine and I'm going to move out to the suburbs. It couldn't happen. Yeah. And so you can see how those seeds are planted and you can see how it communications to people who say, no, I'm not taking that vaccine or no, I'm not wearing that mask. It's about talking to people who sound like they're, they're talking out the side of their neck. Yes. <laughs> or something. Yes. Stupid. You know, wow. the old seek first to understand. And then to be understood. Yes. And so when you say um, seeds of leadership, it comes from your, it comes from your environment. It comes from the conversations in, and you know, we're always around here talking about um, building relationships. And um, with that, um, you know, I'm trying not to go off on tangents, but another thing is that the social media is not that social media is bad. I remember when, you know, don't we all remember when Facebook jumped off? Don't we all remember finally getting computers? Because in 1980, it, we, my husband was a gadget guy. And so, of course, we got computers right there in uh, the early 80s. I think it was like 1980. Yeah, it was probably 80, 81. Okay. And uh, we started with computers and uh, they were wonderful. I mean, I, I couldn't believe all the wonderful things they could do. But now it's come to the social media. It, 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 it's a two-edged sword. And, and, that, and that edge that comes to get you will slice you up. You know, the fact that people square off to corners and I only want to look at the stuff that, uh, you know, what, what, what do they say? You don't use it to in, enhance what you know, but to uh, stonewall you into what you already know. Yes. And so that conversation that that should happen between people who live in the same space doesn't get to happen unless it is very intentional. Absolutely. You have to, yeah, you have to say, hey, let's have a conversation. And, let's and, talk about what's going on with and, you. And you mentioned, I'm, I'm kind of charting this out in my mind, and you mentioned leaving, so leaving San Antonio to attend Wright State. Um, oh, it was called uh, Wayne. Wayne w State. Oh, Wayne State. Yeah, sorry, mm -hmm. Wayne State. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then um, in, in Detroit. Detroit, in Detroit, sorry. And, um, <laughs> Was, um, was that a, was that a difficult decision? It's a long, you know, it's a long way away from San Antonio and it sounds like you had 
this very close-knit community experience growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And no, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. You were ready. You felt ready for uh, something new. Well, it was just that in San Antonio, it was a small pond. Everybody was close-knit. That not that wonderful? Um, you had uh, support and, and, and conversation and... But everybody there still knew. In 1961, when I graduated from senior high school, integration had come, and I was able to go to the city's, it was San Antonio Junior College, segregation, uh, integration had come, and I was able to go. But the difficulty in, uh, the difficulty in, in making progress with, where you thought that you could get to in life, um, not only career-wise, but opportunities to improve the world around you because that's where you live. And I couldn't see anybody that looked like me anywhere in administration because white men, I think Cisneros was our first uh, Mexican or non-white mayor. Henry Cisneros, and, yep, that's right, yes, in the Henry 80s, yep. Yeah, and so until the 80s, and you know, I left uh, back in uh, 63, I think it was. So you can imagine, it, 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 this was, and so while it was comfortable, it was, I just wanted to see how, how far could I go, what could I do? And I, and I wanted a chem bio degree. Now, what am I going to do with a chem bio degree in San Antonio? You know, just kind of looking around to see, you know, what can I do? That agency and that, um, that idea of leadership, because, see, if you bossing, you, you got to stay where you are and boss people around. I, I mean, you know, that's, that's very tight and very definitive but if you run in the project and can't let nobody else run the project or delegate any or very little parts of the project or you you mostly are not delegating you you are telling people what to do and that means you can't grow and and if you can't delegate if you can't delegate if you can't lead then you're always doing the project. Yeah. And so I could see the minister, the minister's wife, uh, my father, um, you know, opportunities in the general culture were limited for leadership. So my father became a black shriner. Uh, he joined um, the, the Masons. He was, uh, they called it the blue house, but he was a Mason, 33 degree. Um uh, he was, you know, on the deacon board at the church. So you, you see what I'm saying? You know, my yes. mother went to women's organizations. Now, you know, what What am I going to do in San Antonio? You know, you just have this this itch. You come up with this agency of together we can get this done. And I wanted this degree. And so Wayne State, as I said, was one of the, only of about five universities that you could get this chem bio degree and have you could graduate on Friday and have a job on Monday 
as uh, a lab worker, as a, as a medical uh, technician or a lab worker in some kind of research lab somewhere. And so, and you could do it in the four years that the degree was. Yes. Everywhere in San Antonio, if you got in, you had to spend four years in chemistry and biology and then get out and find a hospital that would allow you an opportunity to internship. Yes. Now, how much do you think a black young person thought that they were going to get a hospital to give them an internship in the laboratory? No. Wasn't going to happen in 1961 or four years from that after you came out of a four-year degree in 65. It wasn't going to happen. You didn't. You couldn't see that. But at Wayne State University, they gave you the internship your senior year, and when you graduated, you could take the national exam, and you were ready to go to work in a laboratory while you went and found where you really wanted to work as a wow. researcher or whatever. So I mean, I was I was geeked. I was ready to yes. go, and I found Wayne State University. However, I was going to get there. And so, you know, in that process of uh, living in a new city, um, it, it worked out really wonderful. My husband um, was from there. He was, uh, well, he was really from New Orleans. And so he had that southern segregated upbringing. And so when his family got to Detroit, um, they came uh, in the 50s when the automobile industry before it crashed uh, later and, and started losing so much, um, losing so many workers, losing so many opportunities for workers to make uh, a difference in their lives. You know, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, even though it was starting to diminish in its um, gross um it, it, not gross product, but um, the the money that they made, the profit margin started to diminish in the 70s, really. It, it, it's, it was management that was heading them downhill in the 60s. But in the 50s, it wasn't noticeable. So when my um, to-be husband's family moved there, you know, to Detroit, things were just really booming. And so getting there, I saw a lot of agency. I saw a lot of what was going on down south? You know, Detroit had strips in black neighborhoods that had dentist offices and, and everything you could imagine. So I, I just felt, man, this yeah. is the place to be. So, but it was that educa education and schooling are not the same thing. They should be, right. but they're not. And to educate children toward living their life in the best possible place of which they are responsible for making that place. That's an education that you can see the community has to be part of. Yes. And here at Capra, we are so dedicated to the future through the involvement of young people in their lives to develop that agency, to be the leaders who are about people. And at a, correct me if I'm wrong, at a young age, 
you developed an awareness. Um, let me back up. So, you know, it is a, it's an, it's an increasingly common view in, you know, 2021, as we have this conversation that, and some of this is, you know, universities and, and things like that, that, um, the, the, in America, a lot of the education that we've been given in the K through 12 system has been largely dominated by Western, so what's, you know, Western civilization, European cultures and things, and things like that. And you at a, at a young age developed an awareness of the, um, uh, impact of African cultures and other non-European cultures, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, that really started that 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 really started to inform your life at the at, at this at this age. And I might not be getting the exact um, uh, you know sequence of events right, but is that is that accurate, Paulette? It it is. In in th- what happens is the community that we that each of us lives in, especially the impressionable young person and you know when I was coming I did not know that we were poor people until I was until I started looking at TV uh, after I I think I, I must have been in college before I really realized we were poor we because you know we just um, my grandmother made us beautiful dresses for uh, holidays. Um, we, it, when you when you say about your history, which is important, but your present is important too. And when you come up in a community that um, you, you see people engaged in what will make not just what will make life better, but what needs to be done so that the community can be the best possible place that you want to live, like in your own home. Uh, I mean, your wife keeps that place and the children, and you help. I'm not really being chauvinistic with you helping. For all I know, you're the main one, and she helps you. But together... You keep an environment for the children, yeah. and so while I was in, I was in a, a living present history of the agency of Black people to get for all of us what we needed as a community. Of course, there were people in our community who couldn't, people who were broken, people who were sick, people who 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 maybe lost their jobs and couldn't find another for a while. But inside that community, nobody was going to let the children not feel the hopefulness of support. And so that's, you know, that's why I I think about today's communities. Um, For, for, you can't always go in somebody's house and uh, make them well enough to provide that kind of emotional support to the children. But the community, and we have our schools, a place that children uh, are are set up for our children to be for almost eight hours every day. And we constantly say, we, we don't have the money to make the schools a place to raise the next generation. We don't have the resources 
We don't have the people who can who can teach them and emotionally support them. But all those systems are in place. Gathering up money is in place. Teaching those teachers are in place. But what are the teachers teaching them? What about what about raising them for the for the future? But but then you know these systems are so big. But like any system, it's about each of us looking at how do we how do we push you know, I'm thinking about the system that allows people to come out of teaching careers. They they, they allow them to come out of learning how to teach children unprepared to teach children who come to school not understanding about how to place in their mind their parents are getting divorced not understanding about how do i study when i haven't eaten since the last time i was here it's like they don't even it's like these are are 25 grown people who need to mind their own business and take responsibility for their education. That's, that's, and, and so, you know, leadership connotates so many things. And if the leaders in the, in the schools, the principal or the CEO, if it's a charter school, if they are managing their buildings, see, I believe that I'm a taxpayer. See, I believe, that it's my money that it, it's given for the children. I think that's my money. And and the people in our legislative branch, I think that they should answer to me. Yes. And I'm 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 just trying to f- figure out a way or uh, see who is setting up grassroots lobbyists. But it, 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 you can't work two jobs and go down and lobby. Right. But grassroots lobbyists that five or six of us in an organized way can share through support of some kind to go down and make make those people put it out in the street. This is the one who put this bill up that says that we shouldn't have early start education. This is it. There's Mike and, you know, you, you are the president of the Indianapolis uh, Chamber of Commerce, you know how many things need to be fixed. Yeah. And leadership, somehow I think that when somebody says they're a leader, how much of the community's issues and challenges are you interacting with, with the people in those particular communities? Yes. To fix that system. Yeah. So if somebody it, tells me I'm a leader, oh, really? Yeah. And it, and it, and it's become this. It's it's really interesting because I think you're talking about issues that are very much present day, and yet I know this. I'm I know this thinking also factored heavily into what eventually became the founding of Kepper Institute. So, you know, it's like you talked about the 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 need for community to come together and then create this space for the development of young people, and that obviously played out in you know you raising your own children and then you know, the uh, children, uh, raising children from your extended family as your own. And then, you know, what you were just saying about the, you know, we're we're supposed to be set up like this representative government, but there are all these barriers to participation, some of which um, have been put up intentionally, you know, some of which are things that 
um, you know, we need to, we, that need to be changed. And, um, I, I'm, I'm leaping forward a little bit, but as you get, what, what are the, what are the events in between you, um, you know, going to college in Detroit at Wayne state and living in Detroit to, you know, the kind of the eighties and nineties that, that ultimately led up to the, the founding of the, of the Kepper Institute. Was there, was there a series of events that brought your family to Indianapolis? Oh yeah, my husband at that time uh, had gotten a promotion uh, in his job uh, to be national sales manager of an international uh, company, and so we moved here to Indianapolis. Buddy, I did not. In 1979, when we moved away from Detroit, I wouldn't have cared where we were going. I just was an unhappy camper. When the movers. <laughs> When Mayflower Movers, there there was a big company here, uh, Mayflower Company, and uh, so when the Mayflower Movers came to my house in Detroit and packed up my house, oh, I was an unhappy camper. So uh, they packed up everything. I got in the vehicle. Uh, my children were staying with their grandparents who lived there. And uh, I got in the car and uh, drove on to Indianapolis, trying not to cry all the way down here so I could see to drive. So I get here, I go to the new house that we had bought, and oh, I could not believe that I had left a support system of 17 years yeah. and had come here. So I had to make a pact with myself that you cannot let the children come here and have a negative attitude. You're gonna have to do you have to do better than this kid. And so there in San Antonio, we did um, a lot of African history. In it, it's it's you see history points you to not just overcoming, but thriving, critical thinking. History lets you know that, um, you know, uh, that Obama thing, yes, we can. It was the old, yes, we can. We can We can do this. Yeah. Uh, coming up, there was, you know, pictures of Marcus Garvey all over the walls. Uh, there were uh, pictures of uh, African leaders, uh, uh, huge groups of ethnic people, um, in 1957, when Nkrumah uh, threw off the, the the shackles of colonialism, and you know they didn't even fire a shot. It wasn't like it was a civil war. He negotiated his way out of that, and then other. And so you know, just stories like that, you know, just give you all this power and said, "Hey, listen." And 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 then you know, when I considered that um, my father and my mother. They, they were somebody. They, they found a way to be leaders in their community and, and, to, and to be a part of the positive. So by the time I got here, I say, well, Paulette, this is where we are. <laughs> what is it about this place to like? Yeah. I'm still here. My yeah. wonderful husband has passed back in 1992. My fabulous sister who came to live with me after that has passed in 2002. My children, not a one of them 
want to come back to Indianapolis. One lives in New York. You know, you can see why he lives there in um, right there in Manhattan. Uh, the other one lives in D.C. Uh, one lives in Tampa. He says it just gets too cold, ain't Paulette? I just I keep telling him, I say, now you know I'm 77. Who's going to inherit this house? And they all look at each other and say, well, we'll find somebody to live in it. <laughs> We're not coming back. I'm still here. Yeah. And so all that didn't want to come. And I mean, I was an unhappy camper. I am now a Hoosier. And so when I, when people say, you know, I said, oh, really, where are you from? And they tell you they're from here. I said, oh, you're a Hoosier. They say, oh, no, I'm not a Hoosier. I love being a Hoosier. In fact, my, my feelings were hurt when the Hoosier Dome downtown, yeah. when they decided to take the, the tarp off and make this new place, and they called it the Lucas Dome. Oh, no, no. First, they changed the Hoosier Dome to RCA, was, yeah. Yes. I said, now, see, when, when, when the Colts played anywhere or any group played the Colts at the Hoosier Dome, everybody knew where it was. The RCA Dome, where's that? That could be anywhere. Oh, I said, that's a darn shame. Who, who let that happen? <laughs> yeah. So what? I'm a what, Hoosier right now. What, what is it? See, th- this is one thing that's always fascinated me about you you and Imhotep. So you could be and maybe should be taking it easy at this point in your life. You know what I mean? Just, you know, you could met like a lot of people, you know, in your generation, make it your livelihood just to travel, you know. Um, you know, travel to just, you know, see your kids or anything like that. And yet you are in the middle of it. You know, you're, you're, you're mentoring these young people. Um, you are, you get engaged in, you know, community activism. Um, where, where did that, where, where does that, um, and, and, and not just now over the last, you know, you know, 20 plus years, where, do, where does that spark come from? Um, Looking around to give what I got. Looking around to give what I got. Because, you know, a lot of people poured into me when I was young. I didn't even realize it. You know, because that's, 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 that's the way communities uh, are gathered around to help young people. Um, be all that they could be. And when I moved to Detroit, um, the people who were there, who who supported a young woman trying to come through college to get this degree, I had no relatives up there. So you can imagine, in 77, I see these young people, especially, I am so pleased, Mike, I am so pleased that we have these three houses that we can house the young people who live with us and we can all be in this COVID bubble. All I think about is if they were in individual apartments trying to make a living, trying to have communion or I should say community by themselves. I am, you know, it's like my whole life was spent getting to this point because somehow the universe knew this pandemic was going to happen and I could be here for these young people. We have a set here on this campus. We have another set on uh, 23rd Street. 
And now we still do social distance. You know, they've got to yes. wear masks, the ones that don't live on this campus. They still do social distance, but they come by for for dinner. Uh, and and I can I can provide. So when you say, why are you still doing this? It's it's like as I get to be older in you know, the one thing about being 77, uh, you see the end coming. I mean, everybody born is moving toward that end. I mean, everybody's born. It's going to make a transition somewhere out there. You, the transition is going to happen, not if, but when. But as I I can see that, that horizon piece, every day I know that there'll be some young person such as myself when I was in my 20s that'll get out there, work with others to meet the challenges of, to, I, I want to call them issues, because everything's not a challenge. It might be an issue. It might need to be addressed. But maybe we can take care of it before it gets to be a challenge and a crisis, because we can see it coming, because we're all working together. But but that's but that's it. It's like preparing. It's it's like preparing for Christmas. It's like preparing for anything because you, you've got to be able to know in those last days of your life that um, you are leaving a better place. Yeah. And trust me. Oh no, uh, I still travel. Uh, my 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 uh, <laughs> kids. What a word for a fifty-five-year-old. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> two 50 year olds <laughs> and a 62 year old <laughs> that's the young woman that came to live with me at 11 she's uh, 62 now but uh I, I still go visit and you know uh they teased me around here before COVID that quarterly I was on a plane going somewhere uh just so I could check up on them uh, I, I, yes, there was Skype and then there was FaceTime and then there was Zoom. Thank goodness for all of those <clears throat> because in all of this COVID, uh, we we're able to still, uh, meet and greet, um, uh, electronically. Uh, my, um, uh, my brother-in-law had uh, his, um, 70th birthday and he is the only one left. His parents have made his transition uh, my husband, along with his other two brothers, have made their transition. And so he's the only one left. So, you know, that was a special birthday party. And so his wife did this Zoom birthday party. It was so fun and even hired this young man to uh, come and do uh, a wonderful uh, presentation for us. It was like it was like having entertainment. <laughs> so while all those things are good. Um, as soon as COVID is over, I I just I have to go and see them and give them a hug. And when one thinks about what you have, you carry inside of you. It's not on the outside. It's it's on the inside. And so your relationship with others, uh, whether it's uh, your relatives are with other people who are relatives of somebody. And we're all in a community. When I say community, I, I, I don't mean 
only the block or only five or six blocks on either side or even only Indianapolis because no matter where you live, there is still that need for relationships. Um, have you experienced having them, knowing how to have them, understanding um, understanding that that first try to understand because it just so allows your perspectives to enhance and make you feel more comfortable wherever you are. You know, people say, um, girl, you haven't retired yet. And I said, from what? Living? From influencing in we, we call it, um, will you influence or will you uh, execute? Yeah. I mean, and so you can't go around doing everything. Right. You but know, you, but you yeah. can get an idea. Mm -hmm. This idea of influencing. So I, and, and I, we talked about this a little bit in the previous conversation with Imhotep, but I, I really do. Um, I feel like, the Kepra Institute's principles were ahead of their time when you founded the organization you know, almost 20 years ago. And it's almost like much of the mainstream is catching up, you know, hence you having a, a banner year during the pandemic, you know, more, more, you know, more, more, the right. Yeah. I mean, more, more people in the city, more organizations reaching out to you now than ever. And um, I feel like, you know, your, your view of leadership which it does is is certainly not a um, top-down hierarchical view of leadership. It's uh, you know it's some something much different. Um, do you is that is that an accurate statement by me? Do you feel like it? You know you've been somewhat ahead of your time, and now do you see do you see the signs of uh, of mainstream of society catching up and adopting that view? Well, you know, the answer to that is um, I, I think that others, uh, uh, usually we say people, but but others start to realize through your relationship with them that your leadership ability, if, if it does not extend outward and not inward, Leadership that's inward, you're in control, you're the boss, you're at the top of the uh, of the heap. Then as things change, it's harder for information to reach you. Um, as, as you gather up your demise, and it is coming, then all that you built and sacrificed for, all that you were so proud of that you helped build, where is it? What what happens to it when you bound? Did did you build it just for you? And and so when you say are others coming around, I, I think that the pandemic and the uh, broken systems, the the cracks in the in the system that happened just allow people to you know, the President Biden's got this statement he makes, build back better. And um, it, it, that's a great idea. But it's so easy to fall back into what you know, what you're used to. 
let's just go back to the way it was and then we'll make tweaks on the system. And so courage and you say, um, do you see that people are, are, are thinking about leadership as being about others and others' development? I, 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 I think that I see a, a desperation in while something something is going to happen and to to see what what can be because now we don't we're not stuck in what was we don't have to make a tweak here and make a tweak there we have to build stuff back yeah so i i'm thinking that that's why people are looking around and yeah. saying we can see all the places that the other system didn't work and so i i i think that um and it's coming from so many places. M gets it's with his site being challenged and me um, doing his emails for him. Boy, he gets he gets emails from I mean webinars all over the place about leadership that's about other people and other people's development. So that the whole project, in, in, including your leadership, can yeah. be elevated to make the difference in the lives of people around you, thus your life too. Yeah. You know, one, yeah. one, one thing, um, I might, I might ask you to expand a little bit on an idea. So one thing that you and Imhotep have been sometimes quick to correct in me, I'm going to say is people will say in definitely during the pandemic in 2021, they'll be quick to say, well, this, this uh, this to- this political toxicity that we have, and you know, and uh, and well, the the um, racial issues, you know, words words like that. And you and Imhotep are often quick to point out, uh, no, these issues have been with us for a long, long time. It's just part of the veneer gets pulled off, you know, mm-hmm. when you get you know po- uh, you know police uh, po- you know police shootings of innocent people and 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 th- and things like that, mm-hmm. and. And, um, and you always respectfully, you correct me, but respect, always respectfully. Um, and something that, something that I'm going to walk away from this conversation and really think about for a long time is, you know, when you were, when you were talking about, um, growing up in San Antonio, this, this notion of, well, I'm going to get mine and I'm going to get out of the community. The, Mm -hmm. the ability, the ability that we have in today's society to just disconnect from the conversation you know, mm-hmm. and how that can be a powerful, that can be a powerful urge. And yet it seems like one of the things you're building with Kepra and you've been building is this, this thing that is, is pulling people together, bringing people together sometimes against, against the grain, you know, mm-hmm. um, is that, is that an accurate assessment? Um, mm-hmm. Just- mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, we, you know, my, uh, my husband used to tell the children, and they would say uh, something about the teacher this or the teacher that. And my husband said, look, that guy gets in his pants one leg at a time, just like you. So you need to talk to them. And if you don't feel like you can say, well, can you help me with this? Or, or, or how can I make this better? Then have me go and talk to them. And, and so... The idea, just the, just the idea that 
someone you know, I see um, people going under the label of white supremacist, um, uh, the young man that shot up the church. Um, where did you remember I was talking to you about um, the social media? Yes. How you can go on social media and not to inform, but to uh, put yourself in a quagmire and only see, read, and hear what will stoke your own fears, what will make you uh, a jihadist. Can you imagine? No. Jihadist no. on a young white boy's label, a jihadist, a, a domestic terrorist because of the influences that have um, come to them. Um, racism is about the fear of not being on the bottom. But the bottom got, got started back in slavery. Back when people came over and that free labor had to be established, <clears throat> especially in the South. And then it had to be reinforced with codes and laws and ways of being. And when you say the police killing people around here, I came from the South when lynching was real. Lynching was real. And I know people who came from the South that had missing relatives, especially young men. Women too, but especially young men. So the fact that police brutality is back, is back to being bad. It, it, it might not have been so bad in the 70s, in the 80s, but it was, it was bad in the South, in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s. It was bad. And in 1890, in 1900, oh man! So the the political divide. When when you look at the trajectory, and then we came to uh, the 40s and the 50s with the. It's not just the national head, but it was the people who started to um, work in the factories, work in the in the in the industries that were associated with the factories. People had jobs. And so so they weren't so afraid of falling through this hole in the hierarchy to the bottom. But then if the bottom could be dispersed, if the caste system that we all live in that put black people at the bottom, everybody else on top now, people of color from Mexico and Asians and Hawaiians and everybody else are down there in that caste system also. If you're not white and male, there's somebody under you. But if indeed we could just think about not having a caste system, then you don't have to worry about falling into the bottom. You know, everything we can do to make the community not fearful of just, I, I want to say demise. I mean like health care, that you don't have to go on Medicaid to get. Not Medicare, but Medicaid. You have yeah. to be destitute. Uh, 
uh, some kind of, you know, people say $15 an hour is too much for small businesses to pay. They're right. They're right. But when you pay people $7.25 an hour, they have to work 40 hours a week. I know you know this, Mike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. Right. Don't even take two weeks off. Not that you're going to get paid, but don't even take two weeks off. And you still make $15,000 a year. Right. And you, you still can only find rent for less than $900, maybe. That's eight. right. So the $15 an hour isn't about the small business can't afford it. That's why we all pay taxes. Yeah. The, the, the big corporations got 21%. They, their rates are only 21%. Why small businesses got to pay higher taxes? So that they can pay $15 an hour. So that the people can have money to spend to keep the... You see, it's not like, uh, it's not like this is hard to understand. The only thing that stands in the way are the people who say, I like it the way it is. The resources getting sucked up from the masses straight up to the top. So the top 1% can have... 90% of all of what's available to everyone. So I, I'm just, you know, when, when you speak to this, this horrible political divide, I mean, um, I can't remember what the acronym means, but it's called ALICE. You know what I'm saying? The United Way put out this big report. Yes. Asset, asset Limited. Income. It's it's something like a asset limited income constraint. So it's correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. It's it's the population of people who are working just hard enough to stay mm -hmm. off public assistance, but who right. are uh very who are very uh vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They they're one they're one they're one catastrophic you know injury or hospitalization away from bankruptcy. Right. The working poor. That's the right. Working poor. You leave your family and go to work every day. You leave the children, you and your wife, so you can make $15,000 a piece. And then somebody says, no, $15 an hour will hurt small business. Well, how about big business? Yeah. How come they can't increase their taxes five more percent so the small businesses can can reduce theirs? And so then all the target goes on. You know, all those poor people sucking up all the resources. They pay taxes, too. So I'm just saying that to help the small business, to help the, um, to help the, uh, uh, the, the workers who are the working poor, maybe $7.25 an hour, that, that, would, that would mean those, those people who are having all this uh, political angst and this... Yeah. The political divide would have something else to do besides being unemployed yeah. at home. <laughs> and I, th if, I think, I think, um, you know, if I, if I had the solution, um, I'd be, I'd probably, I'd probably be doing something else, honestly, but I do <laughs> one, one of the things, one of the things that I, and I, it's a reason why I think, um, you have impacted, organizations like ours, you've impacted a growing number of political elected officials, is you're, you're, you're getting people in the room, bringing them together without apology, without 
it's you know and and so i am i have become more aware especially in 2020 as i've been cut off from you know we've we've all been cut off from kind of our normal routines of yeah. of it's <laughs> it's really honestly when when my when my views on things change or my views and my understanding evolves a lot of times a lot of times it's because of a relationship with a person you know re- reading you know you and Imhotep send me interesting mm-hmm. things to read i try to do the same but there's no there's no substitute for that your perspective broadens because of that relationship with an individual mm-hmm. who's gone mm-hmm. through it you know it or 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 and so it's uh, and you've been more than generous with your time, uh, Paulette. But I, I guess the last thing I'd like to ask you is, um, you've been, you know, the 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 Kepper Institute has grown. It it grew it grew in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, and I know that it it does a lot of things that I that I I talked about in the in the intro. Um, what would be your, um, so what are some of your ambitions for it? Um, you know, this, the net, the next phase of, of Kepper Institute, just in any, uh, in any, in no particular order, what are, what are some of your, um, kind of wishes or ambitions? Oh man, I, I don't even have to think a minute about it. It's, uh, that Kepper Institute fund that we are working on. Can you just imagine how hopeful and how proud I am of the fact that we are diligently working on an impact fund. I mean, we've done a lot of people say to us, oh, you all do so many different things. You're doing the food project and you're doing grain barrels and you're doing, you know, training youngsters in um, media, videography and all this other stuff and building websites. And And I have to tell them that it's about the young people who come to us and say, hey, listen, I'd really like to involve myself in uh, learning some new skills, management skills, uh, these particular skills that will help me in the future, help community in the future. Now, here we've got that. We've got young people who want to do businesses, old people also. So we started that alchemy. uh, It was to have been a co-working space and then uh, grand opening February 18th grand closing March 14th and uh, we went out with COVID and uh, have not opened back up the space of course but here we have businesses that we are now virtually holding these making the pivot just like you guys did you know everything moves to online and now we're working on an impact fund to fund them you know not only have the co-working space with the back-end services, legal and uh, mentoring and um, marketing space, but to help fund them, to have uh, grant funding and um, investment funding and no and low interest rate loan funding. And so uh, that is the, the, the big, the CLT, that we're working on. That'll be part of the impact fund, the community uh, land trust, where um, owning a house is is the American way. Uh, You you want this place that your children can start kindergarten and graduate out of senior high school with the same bedroom in the same house on the same block. 
that's kind of stability. But with that CLT, that the community land trust, the community would own the land, you would own the house. Therefore, the, the way that they are constructed is the house can stay in the community with the, the same amount of um, a market value. So you can sell the house and, and get some equity out of it, yeah. but it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't appraise uh, to a point where nobody else can live in the house that's from the community yeah. and be able to fund that. And so not only to help our community grow in a number of ways through a number of projects that we and initiatives we already have, but to be able to fund them, that is this impact fund is is is, is really a key target for me to get out and let people know about it. And the last thing I want to say on this grand idea, this this grand initiative that we're in, our impact fund will be able to allow retirees such as myself to invest generally in an impact fund you have to show up with you know some thousands of dollars usually it's tens of thousands of dollars but our impact fund is about community so anybody in the community can say hey listen i want to invest my 50 dollars you only get three percent if you put it in a savings account anyway so just just the fact that the community uh they're they're trying to make a way that the community can invest maybe fifty dollars maybe 25 and then you can walk down the street and say hey listen i own a piece of this ice cream shop you got here through my investment and how you doing and give me two cream cones and and so the it's it's truly community wealth building And that is the the umbrella through which we work on all of our initiatives. We work with the young people, the impact fund, community, wealth building. If it's not about building the wealth in the community, then we leave that for somebody else to do. It is. I mean, I, I've said before, just the, the model of the organization is, you know, it's 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 very much I know about youth development and community, but it's very much a getting things done organization, getting things done culture. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've mentioned your, um, uh, alchemy, your entrepreneurship center and accelerator, the community land trusts. And I, I'm, uh, put in the show notes, um, where people can go and find out about Kepra at Kepra.org and support it. I, um, I, I just, Paulette, I just appreciate the time and I've, I've taken up more of it than I intended to, but this it's so, it's so great just to hear, and you know, I'm I've, I I picked up new things just about your biography and your life that um, really help. It it, it kind of makes sense as to why um, you were inspired to co-found Kepper Institute. And I I tell you, you've you've dropped a few things that are going to stay with me for days after this um, that I need to kind of oh, unpack. You. <laughs> you know, just I mean, this whole this whole idea, and I know it's not a new idea of. I'm going to, I'm going to leave this community and go get mine. This idea that like that, that very individual, like that very individualist. And oftentimes this is my own thought, you know, materialist um, ethos that is like part of the quote American dream, how that, how a lot of that has not served us well. And I feel like 2020 is a, is a reminder of that, you know? Yeah. 
It kind of runs counter runs counter to building the kind of supportive community that that you know organizations like Kepra um, are seeking to build. And and I don't know. It's just I'm I'm, I'm going to think about that. Well, it's communities that you yourself, anyone, hundred percent. Yeah, who who wants to live in a community that's uh, that, that that can't support itself or you? That's right. And and so that's what we're all doing. We all right. live here on this earth. Got to take care of it. That's right. Well, I just um, I am I'm I'm grateful that you um, you know, choose to invest the kind of time and energy that you do in making the Indianapolis community better. And uh, you know, thank you, thanks for being a positive influence on on the Indy Chamber and on many many others. And uh, I just appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you. I I appreciate you calling me. It, it helps me to remember that uh, connections with the community, all of us. And and thanks for the call. Okay, thank you, Paulette. We'll talk to you soon. Okay.